Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to the Universe Next Door, and thank you for joining us. This is Nick Shalna, and we are very excited to get into part two of our interview with Hal Poe, who is a world expert on C.S. Lewis. He's actually writing a three-part biography series on his life. He's already finished two of those parts, so um, go back and check out last week's episode of our interview with him if you haven't heard it yet, and we hope you enjoy learning more you didn't know about C.S. Lewis. With us again this week, Dr. Harry Poe. He is the author of two volumes of what's planned to be a three volume biography on C.S. Lewis. Of course, our program is produced by the C.S. Lewis Society, an organization which is committed to sharing the reasons and evidences for the Christian worldview as it advised for the allegiance of young people, people of all ages really, in the academic world, but in uh, just every area of human, human culture. So the making of C.S. Lewis, it says uh, on the subtitle, From Atheist to Apologist. That's quite a switcheroo, Dr. Harry Poe. Uh, you must have had a lot of fun as we were diving into this last week. You must have had a lot of fun really reading the Lewis letters along with the Lewis books and Lewis diaries. So uh, this is a brilliant production. I've been feasting on it. I've been enjoying every word, every page. Uh, all I can say is bravo, maybe times 100. And so thank you for your uh, labors. Tell us about your um, entry into Lewis as just a professor. And your PhD is from what, the Southern Baptist University or Southern Baptist Seminary? Southern Baptist Theological Seminary yeah. in Louisville, Kentucky. Right, yeah. right. Very, very renowned school. And your focus uh, of your teaching there at Union University is in what areas? What areas do you cover generally? Well, I'm the Charles Colson Professor of Faith and Culture, so I teach courses that deal with the intersection of the gospel and culture. Mm. Um, it's the idea that um, um, God has placed a question in every heart, in every culture, that only the gospel answers. Mm. And the task of Christians is to listen for the question. Mm. Um, the non-believer will tell you exactly what their issue is. Mm. If you just listen, they'll tell you. And then um, if, if Jesus is the answer, all you have to explain is how he answers it. So I teach courses on uh, science and religion, I, um, films and culture, uh, teach a C.S. Lewis course. Um, so different sorts of, of um courses that deal with different aspects of culture. I was heavily involved in politics. I was a professional politician before I entered the ministry. And so I'll, I'll dabble a little bit in politics. That's, as part well. of your seek, that's part of the Harry Poe secret life. Huh? That's the secret life. Yeah, okay. that's a dirty little secret. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I mean, I, I can say uh, with kind of my experience of working with Doug Gresham, I think I may have told you that the stepson of C.S. Lewis was our lecturer for not one but two trips to Oxford and Cambridge, and hmm. we had far too much fun. And when when we 
or asking uh, Doug Gresham, you know, some of his memories, and of course he was sharing them prolifically, especially as we walked through the kilns, you know, the home of Lewis in the Oxford area. And then we were in Cambridge. He, he took us uh, to some amazing places there as well. But um, one of his remembrances is just the, the laughter that you, in the presence of C.S. Lewis, you wouldn't go more than maybe a minute or two or three, and you would see this like outbreak. You hear this outbreak of just a joyous uh, burst of laughter. And I think that's, that's something that you've seen in Lewis. Just, he, is, uh, he enjoyed life far too much almost. Yes, yes. Well, uh, he, he certainly... Um, uh, drank deeply of the joy of life. Mm. He, he did. And of course, that joy, the very uh, surprised by joy title is something of this uh, haunting. Uh, let's just spend a moment on, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it, Zainzucht or something like that. Zainzucht. Okay. <laughs> yes. If you know your Germanic language, you can correct me. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. Uh, yeah. So it's close enough. <laughs> so this is like a, a haunting um, um, pull on the heart, something like a longing. Do I have? Or am I close to what Lewis? Yes, said? yes. It's a. He talked of it as a as a stab, a longing, almost painful. Mm-hmm. Um, that nothing else will satisfy. You know, when you're when you're thirsty, you don't want um, cake. Mm-hmm. Um, only, only, uh, um, you know, water will satisfy. And there's something he was, he knew that there was something that he was desiring, but he didn't know what it was. Hmm. That's, that's a, God had him in a fix there. Yes. And these experiences that he had from time to time that he would later call the experience of joy, these, 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 Mm -hmm. they would come, uh, unexpectedly. Um, he couldn't make them happen. And this is an important aspect of his conversion. When he realized he could not make them happen, Hmm. um, he realized they were coming from some other place than his own psyche. That it wasn't just a psychological projection on the universe. Something was affecting him. Hmm. And, um, if you're familiar with his um, series of lectures that he published as the abolition of man, um, that, that volume begins with this exploration of the idea of the sublime. Now sublime is not a word we use much in English anymore, Mm -hmm. but um, it's the sublime is that which evokes praise, wonder, all. Mm. That is something affects us in such a way that it produces uh, a certain feeling and response within us. It's external to us. Hmm. And um, that's what he experienced with joy. Something external to him affected him and produced an effect in him. And um, we call it religious experience. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an aspect of uh, what, theologically we call the conviction of sin, mm-hmm. um, something external to us. Well, let's just dive into the very nitty gritty of your book, book two, The Making of C.S. Lewis, which I highly recommend. 
it's got my five star rating at Amazon. I'd give it 20 stars if I could <laughs> limit it to five. But as I've been feasting on your book these last several days, and I'm going to order volume one this week. So I'll have two thirds of the trilogy. Woohoo. And you're working on the third third. So keep us. Well, it's finished. Oh, it's uh, finished. We're editing it now. It's Wonderful. in fact, it's in proofs and it'll come out in October. Well, that's exciting. So it is exciting. <laughs> you back on the universe next door. <laughs> So uh, the, the, the nitty gritty, again, the, the core of this volume, and I love the fact that you and your publishing team decided to insert so many wonderful black and white photos in the pages. That was, that was just pure genius because so many of the other biographies, I think I've read almost all the biographies of Lewis and um, these just add you know, to the already fantastic text. But tell me about the Tolkien connection. Everybody knows about Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit and the fact that J.R.R. Tolkien was not just an acquaintance. He was a close friend. Tollers, I think, is what he would call him. And they would call yeah. him Jack. And they, and they were involved with the Inklings that met at the Burden Baby Pub, Eagle and Child, which I understand sadly has bit the dust in COVID. But maybe somebody will resurrect it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But uh, tell me about that connection with Tollers and other Christian friends. That had a significant impact, didn't it? It did. He, um, uh, Tolkien came back to Oxford in 1925 as a professor of Anglo-Saxon. Lewis gained his um, fellowship at Magdalen College the same year. Hmm. Uh, they met at a meeting of the English faculty. Um, and uh, Lewis... Uh, thought of Tolkien as more of an acquired taste. In his uh, diary, he said, um, there's nothing really wrong with him that a good whack wouldn't cure. <laughs> so, so um, but he, uh, Lewis discovered that, that Tolkien loved Norse mythology. And that was the basis for their friendship, shared love of Norse mythology. Over time, they began uh, meeting every Monday morning at the Eastgate Hotel. And by the way, we talk a lot about the Eagle and Child Pub, but probably more important to Lewis and and Tolkien and um, so much that happened in their lives was the Eastgate Hotel. Okay. Um, In any event. um, Is that the hotel where in the movie Shadowlands, Lewis and Warney met Joy? Is that? Yes. That's the same hotel. Same hotel. They filmed that scene. Uh, with Anthony Hopkins. I think they filmed that scene in the Eastgate Hotel, I was told. Oh, wow, that's interesting. So anyway, go ahead. Um, uh, in any event, um, uh, eventually they began, uh, well, Tolkien let out the secret that he'd been working on this manuscript. And this would be the Silmarillion, hmm. um, this creation of, of Middle Earth. And he finally showed it to Lewis, and Lewis thought it was the cat's meow. It was just terrific. They started exchanging manuscripts. During this period, Lewis was working on his first big academic book, The Allegory of Love. He worked on it for about 10 years. Wow. From about 1926 to um, until it was published in 1936. When he started it, he was not a believer. When he finished it, he was. Mm -hmm. So his conversion took place 
while he was researching and writing the allegory of love. I think that's very important in, in reading the allegory of love. I've never heard that. This is my first time to hear the story of that book, which really made him famous in the world of English literature. I even was at a party when I was in, entering my doctoral program at USF and this new, newly retired English prof from Ohio State. And when I mentioned allegory of love, I said, have you heard of it? He said, heard of it. We were required to read it. And that, that just shocked me. Well, it, it, it is. It's, it's, um, it's still in print. As you know, academic books stay in print for about three years and then they're <laughs> completely forgotten. But this thing has been in print for um, 80 plus what? years, 80 plus, almost 90 years, which is totally unheard of. Totally unheard of. And uh, no matter what your view of Lewis, if you're writing in this era, you've got to deal with the allegory of love. You can disagree with him, mm -hmm. but you've got to deal with him because it's just magisterial. Well, what it is, it's a study of these stories that he'd fallen in love with at W.T. Kirkpatrick's. Mm. That is, um, it ends with the fairy queen, and it begins with these tales of Lancelot and, and Guinevere. And, um, but here's the thing, there, it, it's consumed with this journey story, there and back again. Mm -hmm. And the journey story, there and back again, is the story that Lewis fell in love with, and it's the plot to the Pilgrim's Regress, it's the plot to all the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm. It's the plot to his three science fiction novels. It's his story. Mm. Now, Tolkien was telling a different kind of story. He was basing his story off of Norse mythology, which is doom, despair, death, destruction, desolation, all the Ds. Oh, my goodness. There are no happy endings in the Silmarillion. Oh. Everything ends in disaster. There's another D. Okay. And so when he started writing The Hobbit, he didn't know where it was going. He had um, a hole in the ground <laughs> where this Hobbit lived, but he didn't know he didn't have a plot. He didn't know what was going to happen. And... Um, I'm convinced that he got the plot for The Hobbit, subtitle There and Back Again, uh, from Lewis. Mm -hmm. Let me. Um, and to compound it, um, it's also the plot for The Lord of the Rings. But it's not the kind of story that Tolkien was telling in the Silmarillion, which is a collection of dozens of stories. Mm -hmm. um, and there are all the, all the dozens of stories are stories of defeat and despair. Yes. And all the yes. everything falls apart. And oh that's, that's the Norse mythology. The, the, the Norse had no hope. Wow. There was no hope. Mm. Um, so then with the Lord of the Rings, he had started the, the story. He got to the birthday party and he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know what the ring was. Mm. Now, at the same month, well, he, he, he stalled. Lewis was talking with his other friend, Owen Barfield, about um, 
retelling some of the old myths. Barfield had, had written a play in which he retold one of the old Greek mythologies. And of course, Lewis was, had been trying for several years to write a, a, a retelling of the Psyche um, uh, myth, Psyche Cupid myth that he finally managed to do in the 50s till we have faces. But at the time he was just thinking, and in his letter to Barfield, he said, someone needs to do a retelling of the Nibelungen lead. Now, the Nibelungen lead is the, the, the central Germanic Norse mythology about the ring of power that is made from the, uh, the Rhine gold by the uh, wicked dwarf Alberic and how uh, eventually the ring came to Siegfried mm. and um, he gave it to Brunhilde, who was one of the um, Valkyries. Well, if you've, if you've seen the uh, Wagner's retelling of that tale, the four operas that comprise the ring uh, sequence, um, Wagner has retold it from a nihilistic perspective and Tolkien has retold it from a Christian perspective. Wow. And um, so the, the, um, the striking thing is that the same month that Lewis wrote to Barfield about someone needs to do a retelling of the Nibelungen League, um, that was the month that uh, Tolkien began um, uh, writing the Lord of the Rings in earnest. He finally had a plot. He knew what the ring was. Mm. And Lewis so, was so, so powerfully influential. I mean, yes. we, we can say with, with quite a degree of assurance in that, in that regard. And of course, I think it is accurate. As far as I know, I tell my students of this story briefly in my class on C.S. Lewis that in that famous like September, I think it was September 31, where they were walking after mm -hmm. they, the, the, uh, was it Barfield and Tolkien together were visiting? No, it's Hugo Dyson. Hugo Dyson, sorry. Bar Barfield was not a Christian. That's right, that's right, of course. It was Hugo Dyson. So Dyson and Tolkien were talking to him about a number of things related to life and faith and went out on that late night walk. And, and that's where, when Lewis mentioned the dying, rising God as a myth type and he's Tolkien did, didn't he challenge him and said consider the possibility that it's both fact and myth simultaneously yeah um Lewis wrote to Arthur Greaves it's it's how we know these details he he wrote everything in his letters mm -hmm. he said that what Tolkien helped him to see was that um you know he loved this story anywhere he found it except in the gospels mm -hmm. and that the, uh, there really was no difference between um, the story of Jesus and the story of Osiris, mm -hmm. except this is the time it really happened. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what really struck him, that you've got this story of the dying and rising God and all the cultures, and they all happen once upon a time. They're all historical. Mm -hmm. But Jesus was born during the reign of Augustus Caesar when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Mm -hmm. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate when Herod uh, Antipas was tetrarch of, mm -hmm. of, um, of, 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 um, oh, um, <laughs> Galilee. 
Galilee. I, I kept saying Nazareth. Well, yeah, it was bigger yeah. than just Nazareth. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so it's 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 historically said. It's not mythological in its nature, but it's uh, he came to believe that um, God had essentially peppered all cultures, and that cultures tended to distort the original revelation they'd received. Mm-hmm. But that Jesus fulfills that. Um, fulfills the mythologies. Yeah. Well, um, your book, your second volume, and I'm so thrilled to know that volume three is done and it's in the editing stages due out in October. So the making of C.S. Lewis is volume two. Volume one, remind me of the title of that. Uh, Becoming C.S. Lewis. Becoming C.S. Lewis. And basically 19, excuse me, 1898 through 1918 would Mm -hmm. be that 20-year stretch of him being formulated as a young man. So uh, last week, you were able to share a little bit, I want to just touch on it again, briefly, the discovery, and if you could just kind of collapse that, what what you did, you saw advertised through eBay, a record that that purportedly had Lewis's um, voice doing a lecture. And when you got it, when you opened and invested uh, just a few bucks, opened that shipped out from Reykjavik, Iceland, you discovered that Lewis was involved in a plan to help influence that country, right? Why were they, why did they want to influence Iceland enough that they would hire uh, Lewis overtly kind of an MI6 situation? During World War II, Iceland was still part of Denmark. Hmm. Uh, Denmark, uh, an old kingdom, uh, remember, had colonized um, Iceland, the Faris Islands, Greenland, all the way to Canada, um, long before Columbus. Mm. And um, when Hitler sees Denmark, the British realized, oh, my goodness, he can uh, establish air base, naval bases in Iceland now. Mm. So the same day that Hitler Uh, began his invasion of Western um, Europe. um, And Denmark. Denmark and, um, uh, uh, but but Holland and Belgium. Mm -hmm. So the the beginning of the war against uh, France. Um, That same morning, um, the British invaded Iceland. So we don't think the British is invading, but they took over the country. They took over the the, the island. And um, the Joint Broadcasting Committee was set up to um, uh, send uh, radio broadcasts to uh, occupied territories. Dorothy L. Sayers was involved in it. A number of people were involved in it. Um, They would not have known there was any such thing as the Secret Service. Mm-hmm. And they were just being patriotic. Mm-hmm. And um, Lewis was recruited to uh, broadcast to the people of Iceland. We don't know how. We don't know why. Though um, my assumption is that one of his former students or one of his associates who knew about his love of uh, Norse mythology probably passed it along Mm-hmm. to the, the folks running the joint committee. Well, the, and the record you have is like, uh, what, side one and side three. And so, so the yes. other record, two and four, is missing. So yes. we should tell people 
to look in their uh, closets and attics all through Reykjavik, all through Iceland, looking for the other missing record, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> the record made it to Iceland. We know that. Well, I mean, as, as we've been diving deep into the life of C.S. Lewis and just re re reminiscing about all that he has accomplished in paving the way, I mean, we didn't get into the um, the trilogy of his science fictions. He was viewed as one of the co-founders of science fiction, right? He was very important in the in the 30s and 40s as a science fiction writer, was always recognized as an important member of the science fiction community. Right. And I, and I, I revel in the, the letters he received, even from Arthur Clarke, you know, the, mm -hmm. the author of, um, you know, Childhoods and many other key sci-fi books. Well, we have been blasted with uh, C.S. Lewis blessings. It's been great to have you on. Uh, I would love to have you back when your third volume comes out. Uh, may you be encouraged there at Union with all of your, the rest of your uh, colleagues. Thank you. It's good to be back again. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.